Sustainably Influenced, the podcast guiding you through the minefield of sustainability with your hosts Charlotte Williams and Bianca Foley. This season we are deep diving into the relationship between fashion and sustainability, discussing everything from intersectionality to tech-led innovations in the industry and what consumers can do to make a real positive impact. Hi everyone, so it's Bianca here. I wanted to jump on here before the episode actually started and let you know that it is a live episode. What that means is that the sound may vary a little bit and you may pick up on other background noises that are going on. We actually recorded this episode in front of a live audience, which is an amazing feeling after such a long time of no events and the pandemic. So there's a large panel as well, so the voices will jump around a little bit, but hopefully you can distinguish between the different panellists and our guests. So yeah, let's just get into it. I hope that you enjoy this episode. So today we're going to be discussing circularity in fashion. Each year, millions of tons of clothes are produced, worn and thrown away. Fast fashion is harming the world more than we realise, contributing to the environmental challenges we face today. Every second, the equivalent of a rubbish truckload of clothes is burnt or buried in landfill, which is really staggering when you sit down and think about the enormity of that number, that volume. The fashion industry is one of the major contributors of plastic microfibers entering our oceans and we need to do something to fix it and that's where the concept of circular fashion comes in and platforms like these are so important. So, on to my panellists. First up next to me I've got Harriet who runs Saywood which is a responsibly sourced brand and it's made with ethical manufacture. Small quantities, kind of like a small stock model as well. Saywood creates beautifully edited wardrobe staples, elevated through colour and unexpected detail to make each piece unique. The brand was established in October last year. Yeah. By this lady sitting here. A designer with over 10 years of experience in the fashion industry to prove that it's possible to work responsibly and fairly within the supply chain, producing desirable items without an excessive price tag. People and planet are considered at every stage. Then we'll go on to Teresa, who runs Revive. Revive was founded with the hopes of creating a new and holistic approach to how we consume fashion. With circularity at its core, Revive offers micro collections making vintage and secondhand items which have been given a new lease of life through embroidery and other art mediums. You also offer a revival service, which is amazing, so customers can send in their own clothing and have it upcycled. So we'll talk a bit about upcycling throughout the process of tonight, but I think that's an amazing concept as well. Then we've got Tabby, and you run Reconsidered. Alongside studying at the degree in Spanish and film, you launched an upcycling brand and service Reconsidered in an attempt to steer the shopping habits of her peers away from fast fashion. She's a self-taught sewer. When she was only 16 and it began to view it as an alternative to shopping. Having discovered the slow fashion movement and having finally woken up to the pervasive social and environmental problems within the fashion industry, she realised she needed to shift her mindset and habits totally. It's amazing. So, Sarah, is it Seema Stylist? Yes. Seema Stylist London. So, Sarah is an experienced sustainable stylist and a graduate of London School of Styling. She's also a member of the Ethical Influencers Network, as am I. Sarah's creations are based on the principles of sustainability, comfort and chicness, and she strives to redesign her client wardrobe habits, creating new from old outfits, outfits, outfits <laughs> that reflect her personality and lifestyle. Sarah also challenges them to rethink old, potentially mindless shopping habits into something positive and joyful. So thank you all for joining us tonight and being here with this wonderful audience that we've got. And thank you for being here on short notice because we've had to change the panel up. But it's going to be a great conversation. So let's get into it. 
we often hear people saying make fashion circular and future of fashion is circular but what does it really mean for those of you who may not know what exactly circular fashion is what is circular fashion and why is it the future and i kind of want to open this up to the group so whoever wants to start us off i'm i'm happy to answer that so i guess for me like my collection with revive it's definitely circularity was at the core we have enough clothes to address the next six generations in our planet today and that number is probably gonna double or triple because <laughs> we're making more and more clothes brands like Zara are making 52 collections every year. We have brands like Sheen who are adding 300 new pieces to their website every day. So we don't need that amount of clothes. Like nobody needs that many clothes <laughs> in their life. So I kind of thought, you know what, let's use what we already have available to us. And that's why for me, circularity means exactly that, right? Like, let's get creative, have a little bit of perspective, bring back the skill of mending and, and fixing your own clothes and bring them back to life, you know, like use what we already have. Let's close that circle. Today, it's so linear. Let's bring those two ends together and reuse what's available. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Anybody else got a different perspective on it or want to add to it? Yeah, I mean, I suppose it is basically that it's making it full circular loop, but there's so many different ways that we can do that as well. The sourcing of vintage, secondhand, actually recycling textiles, which is a complicated feat at the moment, but it used to be so easy. We used to have full rag trade that would just come around and collect all of the goods and actually repurpose things. But we've kind of lost that over the years and we need to bring those kind of things back using almost like a zero waste policy through whatever we do. Fashion does, even in the pattern cutting and things like that, does create a lot of waste. But there are so many ways that they can be used, repurposing those bits of waste into new items or accessories or like fillings for things like mattresses, cushions, all of those kind of things and just making sure that we look after our clothes and wear them for as long as we possibly can and then give them to someone that loves them because that's always the most important thing because then that person will keep wearing yeah. them. Yeah, definitely. I like what you said there because I think so many people think that with waste from fashion that it can only be used for the purpose of fashion. Mm -hmm. Things can be used across the board. You can use, like you said, the cushions and with the Econil, they use a lot of the fabric for tires yeah. And they've started, I think they're working on some sort of fabric that's going to be used in ships like going forward. So it's really, really interesting that they're developing a recycled nylon that can be used for, I think it's going to be for the floor, for the carpet of ships, and it's durable and it's washable. And <laughs> there's so much that can be done. So it's a, it's yeah. a really valid point. From a styling perspective, I can say that it's giving people, giving my customers, for example, options, right? Mm. And uh, as Harriet said, it's not linear, as everyone, I think, is agree, it's not linear. But people, I mean, ha we have been through the last 25 years thinking that that was the way. We buy, we use, I don't like it, let's throw it away, right? And that was the idea, and it's still the idea for the majority of the time. What I've noticed is really many people don't know that, oh, really? Do you have any other options? Yeah. Can I just swap? what I don't like? Can I donate what I don't like? Can I, I don't know, rent? Can I do something else? So for me, it's guiding them. Sometimes I feel like, mm -hmm. 
yeah, guiding them literally through this amazing and huge world, which is circularity and sustainable fashion. And I love when they look at me and they say, oh my God, this is beautiful. I didn't know that. And it's even better, you know, because now I feel better because I can do something for the society, let me say now, as a consumer. I also think like, it's like sort of what everybody has said is like seeing it as an opportunity for like more creativity, not an obstacle. Like our waste isn't a massive problem that we need to, well, it is a massive problem that we need to overcome, but it's also at the same time, a really cool opportunity to do some really interesting, innovative things with that stuff. And seeing those old clothes that you have at the back of your wardrobe, not as like, oh, that stuff I need to sort out. It's like, oh, how cool, I've got that stuff. Rather than look outwards at like, what else is there for me to consume to replace that? What can I do with that? that's so exciting and fun and should be like inspiring definitely waste isn't a waste until you waste it it's true though waste isn't waste until you don't know what to do with it until you discard of it in the wrong way and i think like especially when you think about things like wish cycling so there's this concept that people don't know what necessarily is recyclable or where to recycle it and they put everything in the same recycling bin just going yeah it's recyclable It'll get done, but it causes more problems further down the road and having to separate different items out because they all go to a recycling plant and they've still got to be separated. So I still think here we we need to do a little bit more in that Mm -hmm. and learning how to use our waste and how to dispose of our waste in the correct way. Yeah, that's so important. And I guess also thinking one person's waste is another person's treasure is the other thing because... There's so many, was it in like uh, Copenhagen, they have all the bottles that you can recycle, but actually people that are struggling to find work, maybe living on the streets, can actually collect up all of these water bottles or, or cans and things like that, and they can take them to recycling banks, and then they actually can get money for them. Mm-hmm. So there's some fantastic schemes in place that we just don't have here yet, and we need to get on it. Yeah, I do think that that's a really big initiative that I think we could really adopt in the UK society. I always think that that was a really great example yeah. as well because I think they get a fair amount, I think it's 25 mm. cents per bottle or can recycled. So if you go around the whole day and you've got a fair amount, you've got enough to get yourself something to eat and a lot of the local people won't recycle their own things, they'll give it to the people that have come around and collect everything to enable them to earn. And I think it's just an amazing initiative. Yeah. Let's move on from that question. So Tabby, as a creator of a brand that repurposes old pieces of clothing, can you give us a little insight into what it really takes to create a circular fashion brand? Sure, so I guess the main thing is about, yeah, just like using what you already have and what exists. And I just go around looking at secondhand stores, charity shops for anything that like interests me. But my main thing is that people will donate things and that is truly stuff that people don't want because sometimes with charity shops or secondhand stores, there could be somebody who really will use that because I'm going to change the thing entirely. So when people donate these things to me, rather than thinking, okay, what would I like to create? And then what fabrics can I use for that? I look at the fabric and what I have in front of me, and then I try and get inspiration from that thing. And so the end result is that I have lots of random bits in my collection and everything looks a little bit different. But I think that's what's so interesting is with the circularity thing is that the story of that item is still there and you can see it and it has so much more value and you kind of value those items a lot more just because you know 
they've had this other life and we as humans connect to stories and so that's I guess how my brand works with like circularity and then I provide this service so you can come and bring me your old things and I'll sort of change them up for you maybe you have the idea or maybe you don't and I'll help you bring that idea out of that item so yeah I guess it's just all about seeing what's there and taking from that I don't know if that makes any sense yeah no I was gonna say what I love about Tavi's brand is that on her tags it actually says what everything used to be mm-hmm. so you'll see and it'll say like I used to be a pair like a curtain or I used to be a duvet or a bed sheet and it's the sweetest thing yeah I saw one when I came in tonight I looked at it I was like amazing <laughs> we're standing there with harriet we were talking through everything and looking at all the ranges and i think it adds to the story and it adds to the story of the actual item and it gives you a little bit more of an inkling into what it used to be and to build on that and then you treasure it a little bit more don't you so yeah it's brilliant That's anybody brilliant. else in terms of what it takes to actually create a circular fashion brand you are designers <laughs> <laughs> i guess just like allow yourself to be creative and don't limit yourself in oh like a shirt has to be a shirt that this has to be that Mm -hmm. like I think like specifically with Tabby's brand you can bring in a dress that maybe you don't wear anymore and she'll make a pair of shorts and a top for you like from that dress so like anything can be anything and like that's the thing Mm -hmm. it's like it's limitless and it's just about creativity and what you mentioned before as well which was instead of seeing this daunting problem of waste that we have which is feels super daunting at times just see it as like an opportunity no definitely just a side question not on the list what is the coolest thing that you've ever converted into a piece of clothing well, it's really tricky but i think my favorite thing of all time are my pair of tablecloth trousers so they were an old tablecloth from my grandma and they have like the sunflowers and the olives you know that classic tablecloth and I've never seen trousers like that and you immediately know that was a tablecloth because it's such like an obviously strange thing to have in your know, trousers and so that's probably the most interesting or the thing that I love the most. Yeah. We were talking before weren't we? We were, we were looking through the range and I said I'm sure I had this bedspread. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, the shirts. I thought I was like I'm sure my mum had this. I've seen this in my house. I'm, I'm like looking to see it in a shirt now. It just makes you see that it takes us back to that earlier point that not all fashion waste has to be used only for fashion, but not all other waste has to be discarded either. It can be turned into stuff that we can use again and again. So it is that idea of circularity. Do you know, I actually have had quite a few people comment on my Instagram, like, I had this duvet couple when I was a kid, I want to find it. It's really amazing that people are recognising the things. It's and the nostalgia, like, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. really cool. It's really nostalgic. And it's also, you know that everything there that existed had a story already. Mm-hmm. So it's like that story coming back round and giving a completely new lease of life. And then maybe one day after it's been a duvet cover and then it's been a blouse, then maybe it's going to be like a skirt or something. And it's just going to mm. keep changing. Like and then clothes. eventually yeah. maybe it'll become your earrings. Yeah. So, and also yeah. I was going to say about like loaning and renting fashion has a similar thing because like it goes from person to person to person. And imagine if we documented every story of every person that wore that same thing. Yeah. That piece of clothing carries such an incredible history in it. Yeah. And without that, it is just yeah not as not as interesting not as amazing so like I'm sure do you do a lot of like renting and loaning yeah the thing is for me it's like looking at outfits right 
when I try to suggest how to add this and that together, I always reckon, look at your outfits with different eyes, mm. with a story behind that, right? My heart bleeds when my, my clients, before starting actually working together, they said, oh my God, I don't have anything to wear. And then I look at those wardrobes and I was like, wow, thanks God you don't have anything to wear. <laughs> like one wall full of stuff, you know? It's how they approach, you know? How they approach is like, well, that was just five pounds, that was just five euro, that's it's still with a label. And it was five euro. It's your money, it's your time, it's your energy, and you need actually to treat it even for five euros and five pounds. It doesn't matter. So it's how you approach things. Mm -hmm. So it, it's the care as well, right? Mm -hmm. And try to figure out how to make it different with a little bit of creativity. And my job is giving them tools easy and straight to the point, right? So they can stop saying I don't have anything to wear and say, <laughs> oh my God, my I have a treasure. In terms of fashion rental, like I've come to realise that there's that kind of sharing of economy is really great as well. Because, I mean, other than the, than the fact that people send you pictures of them in your clothes and you think, oh, my clothes have a better social life than I do. <laughs> <laughs> it's no lie. Um, but you think to yourself, at least you're prolonging the life cycle yeah, of that garment that I may have only worn to one or two events, yeah. a couple of years spaced out between... Yeah. But in this instance, everything's getting to be worn in a much more organic way and somebody's showing interest without having to add to that landfill situation yeah. or add to another piece in their wardrobe or spend additional money that they may not necessarily have. I mean, I know that there's still a lot of pros and cons for both sides of the fashion rental. But for me, I think that side of it is... It's so exciting to see. Yeah. Like I've, I've started renting some pieces from Revive and... My first rental, it ended up being on a music video. And it's just like one of those things where you're just like, oh my gosh, and you add to that story. And for me, like, because I do vintage, they already have amazing stories. Mm -hmm. And I always wonder and ponder like, where was this dress? And who wore it in the <laughs> 30s or whatever? So, Zara, as a sustainable personal stylist, you collaborate and uh, with ethical and sustainable brands. In your opinion, what can the everyday consumer do to support circular fashion? So for me, everything starts from, as we said, actually, from what we have here and now. So I like uh, helping my clients understand more about their body shapes, for example, mm -hmm. body proportions, and try to realize if they really need what they want to buy or if it's just because they've seen that specific mm -hmm. item on the influencer or Instagram or uh, we know that, right? We've been through this. It was a kind of revolution. I mean, fast fashion, let's be honest. I yeah. still remember when I was a teenager in my hometown in Italy, in Turin, and I was queuing, exciting, because Zara came to us, right? So we didn't have to go to Milan or to Paris or to Europe, but Europe came to us. So it was super trendy. It was cool. And we felt like being part of this revolution. And it took 25 years now. And so the mentality is we need that blazer because otherwise we are not cool enough. We are not trendy. This trendy word, oh my God. And so it's, and I try actually to make them think, let's focus on something deeper, mm -hmm. something unique, because you are, you are this unique, you know, creator, but you don't know actually who you are, honestly mm -hmm. with you. I used to be the same. 
running, you know, and trying to figure out I want this, I want that, I want that. But when you realize here now what you need, your body shape, your priorities and needs in your life, you can stop actually wasting a lot of time, energy, money, and investing in what you really want for your beauty and for your priorities, actually. So we are all consumers. I, I always, you know, have this kind of a conversation with some people, some clients. Well, yeah, but fashion is designer's business. It's the fashion system business. It's your business because you are a stylist. And I say, well, we are all consumers, right? Yeah. And we are modern designers and stylists. So we have an amazing power and we can choose when to buy, if to buy, where to buy, if we want to support these beautiful ladies or not. We have the power. So that's beautiful. That is something that we can do every day, every single day. Like when we play, I mean, we see ourselves, we are are in front of the wardrobe something that we do at least once every day is it if we're lucky or maybe more than once so that's really important we have to start having a peaceful relationship first with ourselves and secondly with our wardrobe and we have to be happy when we are in front of our wardrobe and say I love what I see (laughs) because it makes me feel good and show up for the beauty I am. It's not easy. It's a process. It took me, well, some years (laughs) now. And I'm not saying that easy, but it's possible and it's beautiful. And I can easily say now I feel so free because I choose what I want for this. (laughs) Having that spending power and being able to... It's amazing. Both it's amazing. Your pound, your euro, your dollar, whatever you're spending. It doesn't matter. It's amazing. It's so important. Yeah. And it, it dictates to the yeah. brand where we want to spend yeah. our money and what kind of products we, yeah. we actually want to be buying. Exactly. If they're putting out all these things that are not ethical and nobody's buying it, they realize, oh, well, yeah. why aren't you buying it? Yeah. And they're with focus groups and market research, they realize yeah. what people are looking yeah. for. And then it depends where you're spending. So, yeah. Vote wisely with your pound. <laughs> Anybody yeah. else want to add to that? I was also just thinking it's about picking those pieces as well that not only make you feel confident and happy and joyful when you're getting dressed, but also those pieces that you really, really love. And when you have those pieces in your wardrobe, if you imagine every single item that you buy feeling that way about it and just absolutely loving it, every time you go to the wardrobe, almost your problem will almost become... I don't know what to wear because I've got so many amazing things. And you can then just rotate every day and just think, oh my God, I'm wearing this. And you know, that, like we said earlier, the little stories, how you've worn them out. Clothes can make you feel really special just from, like you might go out for dinner one night, but you just feel super fabulous. And then the next time you put it on, you're like, oh yeah, I felt great in that. I'm going to wear that. And there's all of those little things that come with, loving the pieces that you have and sometimes it's not even about the quantity of clothing that you Mm. have it goes to the quality and the memory and it goes back to Mm. how you were saying how it makes you feel you could have five really amazing items that are super versatile you can wear it for dinner to work going out with your friends whatever you want to do walking the dog but you've got those five key pieces there that 
are going to last you a lifetime yeah. you will wear them until yeah. they're yeah. literally threadbare <laughs> I remember going shopping when I was younger with like family friends and I remember every time we went we had to buy an outfit it had to be like if you found if you liked a top and you're going to buy the top we bought the trousers to go with it and the shoes the fact that people buy outfits not pieces that can be paired with lots of things and I've seen you do it on your Instagram where you like restyle the same shirt and the fact that that kind of trend of showing how one piece can be restyled in so many different ways is so good because it shows people that they don't have to be that skirt isn't the skirt that goes with that top mm. it's just a top and that can go with all of your wardrobe and that's so important to it show is. and I like think your brand is like I feel like that's what I get from yours is that they're just like staple pieces that can be adapted yeah yeah the versatility that goes with it and it's also like knowing I guess working out how you can wear those pieces and make them look entirely different with something that you I don't know that you just put on or like a long skirt and then you can wear a mini skirt and then you can wear jeans obviously jeans go with so many things but then smart trouser and how if you feel too smart how you can just dress it down a little bit to make it feel a bit more relaxed there's so many different mm. ways of doing things. And also, like, how much nicer is it to be able to have a piece that it's almost like a conversation piece as well? Like, how much nicer mm. is it to be able to go somewhere and somebody says, oh, I love your blazer, and you could be like, oh, well, it's actually vintage, or, like, an artist painted the back, and you can talk mm. about that. And, like, you can talk about your item of clothing, whereas if somebody's like, oh, I love your shirt, and you'd be like, thanks, yeah, it's Primark okay like that's where the conversation like cool you know it just stops where you can it stops and it's like oh okay cool whereas like imagine having pieces where you can actually talk about the story the ethical process the sustainability it's a conversation piece you know yeah definitely and going on to kind of your brands because we have spoken a little bit about everybody's brand so everybody here has incredible ethically led businesses what elements of your businesses fall into the circular fashion economy. So Teresa, if you wouldn't mind starting. So for me, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, I, I work on a purely circular method. But the way I see with my business is I have two revenue streams. So I have my collections, which I make, and I try to make maybe about three collections a year, and they'll each be about 15 to 20 pieces. And then obviously they'll like trickle down onto each other because not everything sells and then it trickles down. It's kind of nice to have them flowing like throughout the year. But then also I offer my revival service. So you're also able to send me an item of clothing. Say you have a denim jacket and you're like, oh, well, I don't really wear it that much or get much use out of it, but then you can send it to me and we can talk together and design something that you would love on it and I will embroider something on it for you and so it's giving people that option but it's mm -hmm. also giving you the tools to be able to change your shopping habits yeah. and kind of say I don't have to go get a new denim jacket that has something cool on it like I can actually send my own and then get it embroidered and then I have a completely new item of clothing without actually getting something new so it's really like giving people this platform to be circular and also using what's already available, as I mentioned earlier. In my brand, Saywood, where I can, I use dead stock fabrics first and foremost. So that's anything which I get direct from the mills, the fabric mills, where they've been unable to sell it. Either the brand hasn't actually claimed the fabric, which can often happen, or it's been left over or sometimes they have to create sampling yardage for people to use, but then there might be stock left over from that. 
So anything that basically the mill can't sell and therefore is the next step for it is incineration, which is heartbreaking. Anything like that I use first and then I don't create any new fabrics. So it's all available stock. I have recycled fabrics that I use as well. And then within the process, so anything that is left over from production, because you have to estimate the fabric quantity, we remake it into little accessories or cushions. I'm also really excited because I found a cushion company that actually use stuffings from leftover. So that's like my next port of call now. I found them to use their stuffed cushions with leftover fabrics. But also the factories that I work with as well, they work in a zero waste circular model. So any factory floor off cuts, basically anything that is cut round the patterns that might be like tiny little pieces or when they're on the machine sewing you get fluff and like the yarns come out. They sweep all of that up and then they repurpose it. So it either goes for mattress padding or it can be used for biofuels or quilting, things like that. Like it can basically, everything can be reused basically. Yeah, similar, I guess, to Teresa in that like I have the service and the collections and Mm -hmm. the mini collections and they, yeah, they kind of roll on. So there's no going away the stuff that never sold because hopefully one day it will. And I make out of the scrap bits that you were just talking about, I make earrings. So I mix them with resin and we're working on like using bioresin, but at the moment kind of turns everything very yellow. So something we're working on but yeah the majority of the earring is just all the scraps because I had a bag of them and I didn't know what to do with them and so yeah we worked on making these and so it means that you know you could get a dress and a matching pair of earrings literally and I just try and make sure that I'm any packaging I use is stuff that was sent to me so everyone gets a recycled um, package it might not look the prettiest but it's (laughs) reusing yeah I just with everything I do I try and make sure that everything's recycled or just reusing well for me it's like one client one day told me you're a kind of breach in between (laughs) me and this new world you know and the designers because honestly we do I mean as far as I understood sort of my client stories they don't really know so much especially about small designers we can where, where are they? <laughs> where, where are they based, right? So I, I love I love actually bringing them to concept stores, to uh, showroom, because they can listen to your stories, amazing stories, guys. And I think that as a stylist, it's make sustainable fashion available because there's this huge stereotype, many stereotypes actually, about sustainable fashion, my job. So sustainable fashion is just for rich people, thin people it's plain it's boring look at this beauty it's plain it's boring I mean it's full of colors it's full of positive vibes you know I remember when we have been in touch the first thing I told is like oh Harriet I love it because it's full of color and positivity Mm. and that's the point but generally speaking people have that mentality and mindset so I try to educate them as I said guiding to a different approach, to a more joyful approach, because sustainable fashion is full of joy and beauty, (laughs) you know? And that's it. Okay. Does anybody have any questions, anything that they want to add? I would like to posit an opinion that the most sustainable fashion is to not buy anything. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, it's, it's nicer to 
you can't just wear the clothes that you have now forever because they will just fall apart. How realistic is that as an approach to lead towards? I think we can all have a comment on that one, but I think you can genuinely, yes, I 100% agree the most sustainable clothing in the world is the ones already in your closet today. However, I think more and more you're seeing like services like Tabby and myself that give you that opportunity to still keep what you already have, but add on it or like make it into something else. So I think it's something we can really achieve because we are starting to see these platforms for you to use what you already have, but then change it up a little, like take a pair of shorts and turn it into a skirt or change a dress into a top, a skirt, you know? So you do have those alternatives available. And also let's bring back mending. Let's bring back yes. like fixing yeah. your own clothes. We lost that. We saw today people see a hole in their shirt and they throw it away or they see ripped pants, you know, the typical crotch, everybody's had that one, right? The jeans like crotch hole and they're like, oh, well, those are done no like let's bring back hey i'm gonna fix this i'm gonna or use your local seamstress like we have yeah. such amazing you probably have five or four everywhere like my street for sure has like five seamstresses use them let's go back to that there's sojo as mm -hmm. well so sojo the yeah. app is launched in i think zones one and two for now and they're looking to branch out but anybody in zones one and two can essentially get a bike service so it's not a motorbike somebody comes on a push bike and they cycle to you, pick up the piece from you, take it to the seamstress and then get it fixed and it comes back to you. If you live outside of zones one and two, then you can just post it into them, which is fantastic. So it allows you that accessibility to getting your clothes fixed in a really quick and kind of painless way. Cause I think that's the other thing. Mm -hmm. I, we've all done it where we've got clothes that we think, even if you are more focused on getting something mended and you leave it in a pile and you think, I've got to get that done. You leave it there for a really long time and it comes back to when you want to wear it and you think, oh, I still need to get that done. Yeah. So it's creating that kind of idea that it is, you can get it done very quickly, very easily, and for me, without having to come back to yeah. find it. <laughs> I'm done. What were you going to say, Sarah? Thank you for this, because I, I love when they say, my clients say, Sarah, how does it come? We have been working together for three hours and you didn't tell me to buy anything new. That's the point, actually. Mm -hmm. The beauty of collaborating with designers is when you really need something, well, let's go to these amazing people. So it's filling those gaps, if you need to fill those gaps. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we keep going with the beauty you have in your wardrobe. But the point is, those gems sometimes are full of dust. I mean, it's full of layers. Mm -hmm. That's why they ended up saying, we ended up saying, I used to ended up saying, I don't have anything to wear thousand of pieces in front of me you know what i mean so the point is as we said using creativity so a scarf is not just a scarf how does it come it's a scarf no it could be a skirt it could be a dress it could be something for your hair it could be blah 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 so giving options so i'm with you 100 percent. but sometimes we need to buy something new and here we go <laughs> <laughs> you actually have the most amazing videos come as on, well don't, don't you awesome no, they, i like that was the They're first thing nice. that i saw on your instagram profile you changed like a, a shirt into like a halter top and a skirt and all these things i was like this is so cool i tried to have fun actually that's that's the point and people say well it's so easy for you but it's, it's easy for everyone honestly it's just getting into them and i'd just like to add as well because i think a lot of it at the moment the way that we 
grown into this sort of consumerist shopping habit of keep having to shop you really don't need to shop like that and actually if you reduce to like maybe one or two new items a year firstly you'll be able to enjoy them so much more because you can go out and shop and have the experience and it's it can be quite indulgent and just really beautiful and enjoyable but also in some ways like if if we just shopped like that normally and if everyone on the planet shopped like that we wouldn't really even need to question the sustainability of fashion because fashion has become completely unsustainable because of mass production and the how extensive we're producing so for example cotton yes it consumes a lot of water it it needs a lot of work to grow but actually that is really because of how we're producing it on such an incredible mass scale so there's only like 1% of organic cotton in the world and the reason that most of the cotton that's grown is grown on this fast water intensive cycle is because fast fashion they need to keep repeating repeating and getting all of this new cotton in but whereas with like organic for example it's allowed to grow over the period of time that it needs to grow and if we could just create like that and grow things like that we we wouldn't be completely reaping the planet of all of its raw materials I think that's so important to recognise because like we always go for the extreme with being sustainable. It's like you have to stop entirely and that's so almost like impossible a lot of the time. And it's like with like meat consumption, you know, if we had one meal that was meat a day, if everybody did that, it would be the same. We can do it sustainably. That is so <laughs> true, isn't it? There are actually like sheep, cows, they're part of like the grazing process and they promote soil health. It's yeah. just that rather than letting them sort of you know roam wild and free and just a few cows and sheep in all of these areas we're like densely populated i mean if you've seen some of the pictures in america in particular because they're often used as quite like a vivid the poster image. child yeah, of yeah <laughs> and it's like you see all of these cows lined up in this desert of a field and all they can eat is corn and soybean which not even to get into that but like it's how awful for those cows do you just it's just a high demand like at the end of the day it's our it's our high demand and like huge production levels is what's fueling unsustainability Mm. and it's just mm. lowering down i've actually remembered what i was going to say because i think it makes it sometimes can feel a bit hypocritical being a sustainable brand when you're selling and i like as consumers being a sustainable consumer, it can feel hypocritical and a complete oxymoron. And like, I've really struggled with having even collections because it's like, I'm still asking people to buy. Mm. I'm still posting on Instagram going, buy, oh, I've reduced it. Like, that's so not what the message is meant to be. But I think you have to realize that if you're doing it right, and if you try and help other people to learn how to do it right, and that becomes the norm, then it is sustainable yeah. and i think that whole thing of hypocrisy mm. is hard to deal with and yeah. i think it, as well as long as we're always promoting the idea that we're not releasing three thousand items a week mm. on one particular brand that shall not be named <laughs> um, <laughs> oh sorry i named so many i was like dropping names yeah i don't care get I'll, 3, I'll get 3, 000. 000. <laughs> as a designer as well i just want to say 
I, the anxiety levels of their designers. I can't even imagine the demand to keep drawing, producing something like no. like no. Let's just think. The Met Gala's next next month, and in three within what three weeks? Of, it's a three week turnaround. Yeah, it's a three week turnaround. So yeah, so the Met Gala piece is coming out to designers creating looks for fast fashion brands and putting it in the stores. So from conception to production to selling is three weeks for them to create a knockoff, cheap, poor labor, poor pay, unethically made piece. It's they'll, wild when yeah. you really think about it. And it's, they'll yeah. send them to fashion shows. Yeah. They send their designers to fashion yeah, shows to, to then see everything. And then them. right then and there, they're like, oh, okay, this print. And then they copy it. And mm. then it's in the shop floor three weeks later. It's mm. just. And especially like all of these small designers, I mean, Yes, there is one particular brand that is really getting called out, but like called out on such a small scale because the thing is they produce so much, people are still buying it globally. Mm. And these small designers don't have anywhere near the budget that they would need to be able to bring a lawsuit against them. So all they can really do mm. is just yeah, let their work be copied. It's happening. I've seen it so much on social media this week. Sheen have done it against Mason Cleo and Boohoo did it as well. Boohoo did it against her. And then Kai Collective had mm. it with Boohoo and Pretty Little Thing. It's, it's just it's so awful. small brands and small designers. And even big fashion houses go through it. Look mm. at, uh, can I ever say her surname? Mary Christchant. Yeah. 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 She went through it. Yeah. She's gone through it. And they had a lawsuit against I think it was against Inditex so they had it against yeah. them and then they still had to go through the process of suing them and even it cost them so much more money and they're a larger fashion house so it's it's happening with big brands as well but it's when it affects the smaller designers so much more and they normally can't fight for it because they don't have the budget behind them to support themselves in court but yeah let's move on anyway because we've got a couple <laughs> of questions left I don't want to keep people too too long what are the pitfalls, if any, associated with starting a circular fashion brand? Well, so actually, I think what you mentioned earlier about, firstly, you know that you are selling a product. So I don't know about you guys, but I actually had quite a lot of anxiety about that when I started a brand. I knew that I wanted to do it, and I've always wanted to do it since I was young. But you're very conscious of that. So things like getting out on Instagram and actually being the face and saying... I want you to buy this, but you're kind of saying, I want, I want you to buy it only if you want to buy it and if you really love it and if you need it. Obviously, you're trying to think of things that people actually could want in their life and things that to make it easier. But I think as well, as a small brand, I mean, certainly funding is really difficult, especially when you're trying to do something on a slow fashion level, because you're not creating with the intention to just sell, sell, sell and get everything out the door so that then you can make your new collection. When I designed mine, I wanted it to be timeless and the idea was that it wouldn't sell. I wasn't ever planning for it to all sell in the first year. I wanted it to just be something that I could keep adding to, much like Teresa said about her collections. Pricing is always difficult and, and they're actually having the discussion with people about pricing as well because... To create something sustainably and ethically, you can't do it cheaply. Firstly, to create ethically, you have to be paying living wage in all coverage areas, so fabric, 
trends make but actually you need to be paying beyond that really because it's such a skilled job like living wage as a bottom floor is is not enough so when we're asking big brands like H&M to pay a living wage that's because they're like just covering the minimum wage and living wage is such a big milestone for them to get to which is insane because actually for them it's it's actually really like just a couple of pounds extra and they can't even pay that but we need to get past that and beyond that and understand the value and worth of things and then the same with fabrics and then obviously you have to have a small markup because otherwise your business wouldn't be sustainable it always makes you think of that conversation that came out a few years ago about dairy and how we suddenly discovered that we weren't actually paying farmers the correct price for milk and there was complete outrage but it was all being subsidized and then actually beyond it being subsidized the supermarkets were still asking them to produce milk for less and that was just completely mad and we're going down the same route with clothing yeah mm. moving on to our last question i feel like this was the the worst question i think i could have asked for wonderful panelists who promote sustainability <laughs> and ethical fashion but is there any way that we think as a group that circularity could ever factor into like mainstream or high street brands so I think that's, do we have two hours now? I think focusing on materials, fabrics, and try to find the right way of production. Mm-hmm. I know that it sounds a little bit weird because of what you have just said talking about fast fashion, but I think that that might be a good starter. So try to produce producing less I know that again it's like how can I can be but yeah I think that that could be focusing on materials focusing on fabrics and I think that when these guys actually would be next with the concept store next to H&M or next to Zara then people could actually have the options on the same level you know what I mean and it's going to be up to them and up to any consumers so as we said earlier, we have the power to choose where to buy, if to buy, and where to buy, right? So for me, it's going to be amazing looking at finding you next to them, mm-hmm. right? But also, I recently, I in Westfield, for example, in uh, Shepherdbush, by rotation, you yeah. love you love renting, so by rotation. This is an amazing app. It's one of the best, we can yeah. say, and more popular app. Renting dresses and it's growing. They're amazing. And they got a really successful pop-up in... It was amazing. Westfield. <laughs> so Westfield is the temple of fast fashion. Yeah. Can we say yeah. that? A renting app was there for three weeks or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Okay. And at the same time, I've, I've met actually a long design club, which is another reality in London. I'm sure that you know that. Mm. And uh, they protect and they try actually as um, they partner, you know, partner with uh, independent designer. And they had a pop-up in Westfield. And I was like crying when I saw them. <laughs> I tried, because, you see, it's possible. It's possible. <laughs> Independent designers, small designers, local designers in Westfield, the temple fast fashion. So it's it's possible. 
Yes, it is. Anybody else? Yeah, I mean, I think I kind of agree and I kind of disagree. I mean, yes, I think it's possible, but it's only possible if we can completely restructure the fast fashion model. model. I think the way it is today, if somebody like Sara or or Primark or, or these big corporate brands say, oh, we're doing ethical products, that's greenwashing. Nobody who's con- you know producing that rate and that level of clothing is sustainable, mm-hmm. at least in my book. There is no way board, if you're across yeah. the board. In if one you're, month. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know, if you're putting out this much clothes, if you're telling people, and we mentioned trends earlier, right? If you're telling people how they should be dressing instead of telling them, be your own person and use what you have and follow your own style. They're telling people how to dress. So they're telling you what you were wearing last week isn't cool anymore. Get something new. That's not sustainable. If we change that model, if we restructure how the fashion industry works today, then maybe there is hope for brands like ours to grow, to have more location shops and have three little areas in London where you offer your service. And I like to give my platform to different artists. So I'll send some of my own pieces to other artists so they can embroider or paint because I like to use it as a platform for them to showcase their work through my collections. And so imagine I was able to have three locations where there's different artists in every location you're maximizing your amount of stores, but you're using it in a sustainable way where you're helping a community of artists and you're not telling people how to dress. You're saying, hey, come and be totally unique because it's artwork and you can actually design your own. If we keep telling people to follow trends, it will never be sustainable. We need individuality in the fashion industry for it to be sustainable. Because also, actually, we're all individuals, so mm-hmm. no one needs to dress the same, and no one has exactly the same personality. So everything that they do can be and should be individual, and if we can all embrace that, then it makes everything much easier and free-flowing. I know we sort of touched on it, but like in terms of these big brands, these big high street companies, and alongside the greenwashing, for what they sell their product for and the margins that they have to make, the profits, the people that they have to pay within their supply chain, it's not just a bit of fabric and a machinist and then their retail staff, their designer. There's so many people involved to weave fabric. Even a lot of it's done on machines nowadays, but you need people to work all of these machines. You need the lighting in the factory. You have the dye houses, the print houses, mm-hmm. all of the people that work in there. Often in the high street, you also have suppliers who are like the middleman or the estate agents of the fashion world, let's say. So these people need to make a profit and then they're passing it on to other people. And if those companies aren't, which they aren't, fact, (laughs) I'm going to put it out there and just say it's a fact that even where they are paying minimum wage and in so many cases, barely that, there's that case in, in Leicester where people are being paid £3.50, and that's that's in the UK, £3.50 an hour. These companies are paying people not enough for them to live off or to sustain their lives. So if we can't even create fashion that we can sustain the people who work in that chain, their lives, then what, how, yeah. in they can never, ever be 
sustainable or ethical in these companies. And I mean, like, just to also remember that when you do go into these shops, one item of clothing on average will have probably been in five different countries before it arrived to that shop floor. The cotton was grown somewhere. It was made into fabric in another country. It was then cut into patterns in another country. It was then sewn together in another country. Then it was sent to a warehouse in another country and then distributed to all the other shops. So think about the carbon footprint that these shops have. That can't be sustainable either. I'm going to let us finish there so that we can have a quick Q&A because I'm just wary of time for people. Does anybody have any questions? Where you're upcycling bits, I really, really would push to younger generation mm. to kind of really just say like, you know, you can stick, because again, they have in their mind that sustainable or upcycled pieces look a certain way, they can still get that. I think that is definitely a market to really, really push in, having that conversation with them. And there is a platform I use, Rent Swished, I think it is, Rent Swished. Yeah. So I'm actually having a conversation with them and it's not the solution, but I feel like it's pumping the brake mm. at the end of the day. Yeah. And, and consumption. Yeah. So for example, this dress that I'm wearing, it's available to rent. Amazing. So when you see it, you're like, oh, I like it. I'm like, yeah, rent it. And the like, difference, mm. the difference yeah. with Swished is that it's high street pieces as well. Yeah. 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 A lot of the rental yeah. platforms yeah. have yeah. a high baseline yeah. that you're allowed to rent above. So for the cost of an item. That's that's one of like the, the minimum for one yeah. of the platforms. And one of them is £150. So you have to have that cash initially to buy the pieces to then rent out. I feel like it's excluding a lot of people who would want to rent their wardrobe. Well, but, but it's nice that there's but another platform. Now there's that mean. Yeah. So it's not because different people, different needs, yeah. Yeah. different platforms. Is yours? And it's like, I, I don't care. I'm continuously, we just need to all continuously keep yeah. re wearing our wardrobe. Mm-hmm. I've, this dress that I posted the other day, I've like worn it five, six times, and I'm just like, yep, yeah, I'm wearing it again. And how it should be. And yeah. it's, it's such an amazing dress. <laughs> and I'm like, you can rent it too. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I just feel like, but it's the younger generation that I think that it's, it's a huge conversation that needs to be had. Because I feel, I feel like so many things you can upcycle. Like uh, yeah. The top that you're wearing, I know that girls will be, because I've yeah. seen girls doing on TikTok, like quarter neck tops, and they've, they've like, I actually that's one of the only reasons I even started it is because I was at uni and none of my friends were shopping sustainably and neither was I Mm -hmm. I was buying a fast fashion piece every other week if not more Mm -hmm. and it was always the same argument when I started it was I can't afford that my budget is 10 quid an item Mm -hmm. I was like why are you buying 10 quid items every week that is not that's not not affordable or affordable and it's 100% what I'm trying to do is like show that it can be super fun funky weird looking clothes because that also a lot of the time appeals to my generation Mm -hmm. it's not just the brown hemp yes colored (laughs) clothes it it can be really bright and fun and funky and affordable because all of my materials are donated so I've completely eradicated the cost of materials so I still slightly underpay myself but at the beginning it's like that but I hope that I can get to a point where things are you know really affordable but also expensive enough for people to care about the things that they're buying and choose them only when they want to yeah 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 Yeah. 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 Yeah.
know, we have a lot of power in our wallets to, to drive change. Yeah. But I think it's obviously easy for us all sitting here because we're, we've already sold on the concept. Yes. Yeah. And kind of consumer habits to make a huge change needs to be on a massive scale. Mm -hmm. So what I'm kind of curious to, to hear from, from you guys on the panel is how, how do you feel that maybe policy could, could have an effect on this? So, you know, something, an example we can compare it to is maybe electric vehicles, for example. Electric vehicles are now obviously being pushed because yeah. of, you know, new less and governments are saying we can't build combustion engines anymore. And obviously they've put a, a big push on that. And I feel like maybe fashion is, is taking into account as being not that important, but obviously it is. So I'm, I'm curious to understand, do you think that, that governments need to be more involved? <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. The what point is, as you yeah. said, fashion is not a priority, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I love when they say, well, they're just clothes in the end. Yeah, and there are environmental, social, political, governments. I mean, how many issues are around that? Yeah. You're right, it's true. Now they're pushing this car because this is the priority now. Yeah. Now and it's sustainable, which is fine. It's in this big picture of moving forward, you know, a more sustainable approach. But fashion is, re oh my God, we choose clothes every day. Every yeah. day, I can't really understand why they still yeah. think that's yeah. not the priority, you know. Yeah. And we spend so much money, so much money on yeah. the five one pounds. How, I mean, count count every one five in six months. I always try, you know, to make this game with my <laughs> display with my client. Well, you are too expensive for me. So tell me. How much did you pay for this, 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 this and that? Yeah. And you say that, oh my God, actually, it's really, really high. Yeah. That's yeah. the point. Yeah. But education, I think we have been yeah. through this kind yeah. of word, education, capital letter, mm -hmm. and uh, try to uh, young people. Mm -hmm. I love when, they, when I see young people, I mean, younger than me, and uh, because <laughs> when I was like, when I was 18, and I'm 38, and when I was 18, I was... The strange one wearing vintage. I was crazy for vintage at that time, right? And and now it's like, wow, vintage is everywhere. And young people love vintage. And for me, it's like, yes. <laughs> yeah. I think I was um, a strange woman at that time. Going back to like policy making. So for me, it's it's quite interesting. I've actually gotten to experience both sides. I worked for the UN for a while and I was writing reports for the UN on I did a lot of pieces on sustainable fashion policy. So it's actually an issue that's surprisingly really not touched on when it comes to policy. Like there is actually shockingly such little policy that surrounds the fashion industry. And for me, one of the biggest aspects on that is there is no legally binding law that tells fashion brands that they need to be responsible for factories that make their clothing so yes they like hire and they pay factories in say bangladesh to make this many units of these t-shirts by this date but there is no law that is legally binding that brand to say the conditions that they need to be in to say like you know it's why we have the whole issue in 2013 with Rana Plaza collapsing. Um, I don't know if people are familiar with that, but it was a huge thing where a massive factory in Bangladesh burnt down. And the reason for that was lack of policy and lack of legal law. Fire exits had been closed. There were double the amount of people that the capacity that the factory could hold. People from the few days before had noticed cracks on the walls 
and they brought it up to their managers and the managers said, well, we're not paying for that and you're either going to come into work or you're getting fired. So people had no option because obviously a lot of these women have to like, because it is mainly women and they all died. Like thousands of people died in this collapse. And since then, there is a treaty that's been put into place, but it's not legally binding. It's a treaty that people have signed that say, H&M, for example, has signed it and says, we are going to be working with factories that follow these regulations and that follow safety measures. But it's a loophole and they're like signed it because it makes them look really good. But legally, like it doesn't actually bind them. And also they might say that, but they don't know how because they're probably working with over 100 factories. There is no way that they are aware of the conditions in all of these. Um, So just to add to that as well. So there are factory audits that happen and they they have to happen within companies. I don't know. I actually personally don't know if that they legally have to happen or whether it's just a company policy. But uh, to do an audit in a factory, you have to give 48 hours notice. So obviously, a lot of things can change within that period of time. But also, again, it comes down to the, the bottom line these brands can say that we've they've signed this treaty that they're working responsibly with factories you cannot work responsibly with people if you can't pay the factories enough money to make all of these clothes and in a lot of cases especially with covid i mean it was there were so many stories about factories that had basically not been paid for the work that they'd produced or materials that they'd bought in to produce the clothes for these companies and and then they hadn't actually the companies just said that they didn't want to pay anymore and that was it and even beyond that now the average wage in Bangladesh has now gone down Mm. so it's lower than what it was before Covid which is crazy because now more than ever people need the support and they need the help but these brands are just saying no. And also because of COVID, there's late deliveries, which then the brands go to the factories and say, we we don't want to pay for this or we want a discount. And, and they're already not paying enough for this product. And then they're making people give them a discount. And these are big brands with big names. So for these factories, working with these companies you know that's like a really reputable thing that they can say and they can be like we work with this company so for for other new brands they want to bring in that's a great pull in and then if they lose these brands obviously then they don't get to work with these big names but it's it's such a big problem and and they're they're counteractive like they they'll pass they won't pass laws that protect the workers but they'll pass laws that for example don't allow workers to unionize Mm -hmm. so like they legally aren't allowed to create unions and so then the minute that they do start unions they'll do waves of firing Mm -hmm. people because they're like well like you there's a hundred more people who need a job so you know goodbye (laughs) and if there is any industry that needs unions it is fashion yeah i've always thought that yeah yeah (laughs) That's where we're going to finish for tonight, but thank you so much to our wonderful panelists. Thank you. And thank you, everyone. So, we've come to the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening to Sustainably Influence and make sure that you're following us and liking and subscribing on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast provider. 
and we'll see you in the next episode bye